Good morning. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we could be here today. And we ask, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out on us and that he would open your word to us so that we may hear it, understand it, and believe it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so just a little bit of fair warning. Um, you know, we, we have the chili cook-off coming up uh, after the late service, but um, people are bringing their stuff in and the kitchen is already very full and there are tables that are set up in order to receive the crock pots and things like that. So um, there might be a little bit of coming and going uh, as we're going through the, uh, the lesson. And part of me kind of suspects we might start smelling it at some point too. So, all right. So I like to, uh, oh, hey. Um, I like to start out with a little bit of, of just kind of remembering. Um, and, uh, and so for those of you who were here last week, is there anything that you remember from last week that was valuable or something that maybe came up across the week? You know, I, I've often found that God has a way of, of uh, using something that we heard at some point and, you know, it's like, that keeps coming up or, or something like that. Is there anything uh, from last week's session? <laughs> the righteousness of the law and, and the righteousness of faith that's a really important distinction right um, sometimes you know as Christians we talk about uh, what we call civic righteousness which is a which is a form of the righteousness of the law and we look at people in this world who genuinely do good things um, and they're, they're apart from faith, you know, and so in terms of like their salvation, there's no value in terms of salvation in that. But does that type of righteousness matter? Absolutely. It's important for us in this world. And so we don't want to say that the righteousness of the law is terrible or anything. It's just, it's just not beneficial for our salvation. We need Christ's righteousness for that. Anything else? In that case, let's dig in. Um, I'm going to reread those first verses there. And then we will, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, verse 1 last week. So I'm going to jump into verse 2 after I reread uh, Romans 10, 1 through 15. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, that's concerning the Jews or concerning Israel, uh, is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempt to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, who will go down into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If, you're, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach without, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And again, um, you know, as we look at this, those parts that are in bold are all citations from the Old Testament. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, I love the way that, uh, that at least, especially in this section of, of this letter, Paul is just constantly bringing up quotes from the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. He would have just called it the Bible. Yeah. Um, so th- this passage in, in um, verse 2, uh, it, it sounds a little bit um, uh, confrontational, a, a little bit controversial uh, when, when Paul writes, I can testify them about them, testify about the Jews, that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Um, aren't these the people that were like passing the Bible down from generation to generation? Supposed to. Well, yes. Um, and so I think part of what we need to understand is when we look at this and, and it says, you know, that they had zeal, but they did not have knowledge, that this is very much speaking as Jesus did. Uh, when you take a look at Mark chapter 12, and if you've got your a Bible with you, whether it's, uh, whether it's on your phone or, or you actually have a you know, physical Bible, um, I'd like for us to take a little bit of time and look at the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. And uh, I probably have to start out with just a little bit of um, who's on first here. So in, in chapter 12... Uh, Jesus is being confronted. Um, Conflict is a major theme in the Gospel of Mark. Um, When you get, those of you who are doing the Bible reading, when you get your uh, um, email today, that's part of what I talk about as I introduce the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus finds himself in conflict with different people, different groups. And in this case, he finds himself in conflict with a group that's called the Sadducees. We tend to hear about him with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a um, kind of a lay leader group. They were a back to the Bible group. Um, and there was, there was a lot about them. They worked out into the villages and they tried to get people to obey God's law uh, plus, you know, extra. And the Sadducees, on the other hand, they were like um, the political elite within the, orig- within the religious systems of, of the Jews. Um, the Sadducees uh, tended to uh, really hold to the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't really think too much of the prophets. Um, and so a lot of the miraculous stuff, they kind of, eh. Um, they also were not big on the idea of um, resurrection from the dead or life after death. Um, 
I, I suspect that they were heavily influenced by some of the philosophers because um, remember that when you're dealing with Jerusalem and you're dealing with that land that we call Israel um, or Palestine, depending upon where you're at, um, the, uh, that whole area of the world has been dominated by uh, all kinds of different cultures. But at this time, there are two cultures that are incredibly important to understand where these people are. And, and one is the Greek culture, because Alexander, uh, Alexander who was very humble, um, he called himself the Great. I, I actually, I don't know if he called himself the Great or not, but uh, that's what we call him. And uh, he took over the whole known world, right? And that was hugely important for bringing the Greek language to unify that whole area around the Mediterranean all the way over into uh, to India uh, so that there was a common language that they could do business in. But with that came Plato and Aristotle, you know, the philosophers. And it, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but philosophy and religion, they, they, they tend to walk not the same track, but similar you know, they, they, they often kind of bump into each other because they're trying to answer similar questions sometimes. Uh, and um, philosophy is often according to, you know, the righteousness of the law. It's really about, you know, what do you do? You know, what, what's going on inside of you? How do you conduct yourself? Um, anyhow, these Sadducees, they had made an arrangement with Rome to have control of the, uh, the temple. Um, and it really was an arrangement with Rome. Um, Rome gave them that power to control what goes on in terms of the worship and in terms of the temple life. And, and so these people are very politically motivated. They do not want Rome to take that away from them. There are actually quotes about that in the Bible. Um, and uh, um, and, and they, they're not big on the resurrection. So um, that's important because as they're testing him, they're going to give him a question about the resurrection. So Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first married a woman and, dying, left no offspring. The second also took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. None of the seven left offspring. Last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? Now catch what Jesus says. Jesus spoke to them. Isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? That, that, that's something that you always say to people like when you're trying to convince them, right? Yeah. This, isn't this why you're wrong? Um, isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Now that's a charge, isn't it? That's a bold confrontational statement. And Jesus goes on, he says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, 
Haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. He's, he's saying that there are things that are being said in the scriptures that the Sadducees are intentionally overlooking. Good thing nobody ever does that anymore. Right. Um, you know, so, um, so when we come to, uh, um, all right, I probably need to unpack this a little bit more, the whole thing with the marrying and all of that. That was part of the, the culture and part of the law of the time to provide for, really to provide for women because um, a widow had to be cared for by family. And uh, that was usually sons that would, would do that work. Um, you know, so there is some, definitely some weirdness to us in, in, in this. Um, but that, remember there was no such thing as social security. You know, there was no social network at the time. It was all the, the care of family primarily and then, you know, compassionate people from the, the community. But notice that Jesus, um, he, he kind of puts the, uh, the, the whole marriage thing kind of to the side. He, he says very little about it. And he wants to get to the point about the dead being raised. And, uh, you know, he, he really wants us to understand that the dead don't die. We live. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, they're alive. You know, and he says, God is the God of the living, not of the dead. Um, obviously a separation from physical life, but this idea that there is life beyond death uh, is essential. And he tells them, you know, you're not listening to what God's word says. That's what Paul is doing too. He's saying, you know, you, you aren't listening to, to what the word itself is saying. So, when I think about this passage in Romans, um, you know, where, where it says, I can testify that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know, Jesus talks to the Sadducees and says, you're mistaken, you're wrong. In this context, I would go another step and say, they're deceived. And, you know, that happens to us too, right? Um, it happens uh, with things that we know but just aren't so. So here, here's some scripture passages that I love to hear quoted. God helps those who help themselves. Hezekiah 3.3, right? Seems to help those who don't help themselves as well. Yeah. Or people who can't help themselves. Yeah. But are there a lot of people who believe this? This was just quoted to me this past week. You know, and thankfully it was in a not too terrible context, kind of, the, kind of in the, the idea of, um, of what the monastics would have called ora et labora, uh, which is pray and work. You know, most of the time we're not just called to pray and just sit and wait for God to do everything for us. We're called to pray and then to walk in faith and, and, and to do the things that God calls us to do and be the people he calls us to be. Even as we are working, trusting in him for the fruit, right? Um, so the idea that we're just going to sit on our hands and do nothing, um, 
that's not usually how things work, although sometimes that's exactly the, the situation. Um, you know, Moses and the, and the people of Israel at the Red Sea, God will fight for you. They did nothing to part the Red Sea. They just walked. Yeah, after car. So, um, is that basically like we pray for something and also we need to do our part so that God will do his part? Is that... Uh, not quite. Okay. We pray for something and then we do our part trusting that okay. God will do his part. We don't do it so he will do his part. Right, because that, that is like making a big Right, you got it, you got it. Um, but we, we trust that he's going to provide for us and he's going to answer our prayers. And so we walk in faith and in trust. You know, and, and sometimes it doesn't come out exactly the way that we were thinking and hoping. Absolutely. And yet we find in retrospect, wow, he really did something even better than what I was asking for. Or he did something with my life that's probably more important than what I was asking for, for the sake of the kingdom. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, here, here's another quote. God will never give you more than you can handle. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It's, it's, it's a lie from hell. Uh, now, here's the trick with that one. There is a passage in one of the Corinthians um, that says that God will not allow you to be tested beyond your means, but he will provide a way out for you. Nowhere, though, does it say that God will not give you more than you can handle. In fact, I think he quite regularly does. Because we walk by faith. Yeah, that statement sounds like that God's walking around and saying, you can handle it, you can handle it. Yeah, yeah. Suck it up, buttercup, let's go. I don't care about all the tragedy that's going on in your life. Let's do this, you can handle it. Yeah. No, no. How, but I think that without God's help, faith, you know. How about going back to Romans? God works all things to the good of those who love him. And in Christ we are more than conquerors. That type of an attitude, absolutely, that we can face what comes our way in the power of Christ and in his faithfulness, you know, we, we will overcome. But the idea that God will never give you more than you can handle is not really there. In fact, I think sometimes he gives you more than you can handle so that you will lean on him. I, I heard somebody? Which he has given me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly, that's exactly what we got to do. Um, and, and while it's not a comfortable place to be, it's a blessed place to be um, as he works in our lives. Um, an another one, um, my Jesus would never, and you can fill in the blank, there's a, there's a number of different things that, that you could put there. And I'm like, but in the Gospels he did. And so if your Jesus wouldn't, then your Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Gospels. Right? Um, and notice that there, there are things that are kind of half correct in these things. 
I think that's an important thing to realize about the way that the devil works in, in our lives. He takes truth and just twists it. Um, you know, and uh, you know, that's an important part of his strategy. And I wanna say a quick word about biblical illiteracy because this is a big, big problem, not just in our country, but in the church. You know, statistics show over and over and over again um, that people don't read their Bibles, um, Christians don't read their Bibles, and they don't know what the scriptures actually say. You know, so it, reading our Bibles is really, really important. Now, are there parts of the Bible that are probably more important to know than other parts? Yes. Uh, I sometimes think that it's probably more important to know that Jesus was raised on the third day than Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Both of those statements are true and biblical, but if I have to pick between you knowing one or the other, I want you to know Jesus was raised on the third day. Okay? And so for some people, is it going to be more important for them to really just kind of rest in the New Testament and kind of read through the Gospels and the Epistles and listen to what Jesus and the apostles are saying rather than going back and really digging into the prophets and I, I can see an argument for that um, but at the same time knowing that whole breadth of the scriptures I think it is so important for, for us um, and I don't think it's enough um, for, for that person in the community to be the pastor or priest who really really knows all of this stuff I, I think for us to have a good dialogue as the church, we, we need more people who are really reading the scriptures because the church isn't intended to just be led um, by its ministers. Uh, minister means servant. Um, the work that I'm really called to do is in bringing forgiveness to people. And yes, I am called to teach the word and to preach, but it's it's really a, a dialogue and, and it's God's the one that's doing the teaching even as we're just reading the scriptures um, and, and so basically when it says that uh, um, that they that the Jews uh, have zeal but not according to knowledge it's because they put a different authority in place of God's word you know, they, they have if they put the authority about how they think it ought to be or their traditions. And it's not just them that do this, don't get me wrong. Everybody, you know, this is one of the reasons we really have to be very careful to really root ourselves in God's word. And, uh, you know, and there is an assumption out there too that sometimes gets in the way that we can't trust what God's word says, you know, because it's been handed down. And I am convinced that the Holy Spirit can handle getting the message to us that Jesus wants us to receive. And so I trust the scriptures that have been handed down to us as faithful and true. Um, I, I sometimes call what we're talking about here the Christmas carol effect, because Jesus was clearly born on a silent night, right? And all was calm and all was bright. And angels came from the realms of glory, right? Yes. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, yeah, you can go through those carols and, um, and some of the carols, I mean, they're so romanticized. And 
Is there anything necessarily wrong with that? Well, no. As long as we know what the scriptures actually say. You know, because is, is there something that is incredibly peaceful and light-giving in the birth of Christ? Absolutely. But I kind of suspect that, you know, Bethlehem was a bustling town. They, there wasn't even room in the inn, right? And uh, did the text actually say that Jesus was born at night? No, it says that the angels came to the shepherds by night, right? You know, so just, you know, read it, think about it. And what does it say? So this, this passage talks about zeal. Um, and it puts zeal in, in kind of a contrast or in a relationship, at least, with knowledge. Um, so what, what is the place for zeal in the Christian faith? Assuming uh, that it is rightly connected to the, to the knowledge that's given to us by the Spirit in God's Word. Yeah, Jill, you got to speak really loud, though. Yeah, you know, and, and so I've received something incredible. I want to share it. That, that sounds like something that's very worth being zealous for. What else? Okay, being devoted to God. How would how would we do that? Reading His Word. Okay. 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 There are, there are a lot of different aspects to that, right? Very good. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Joe. See some zeal right over here. What? Sorry, I was thinking about Shirley. Yeah. That's fair. Well, Yeah. How do we love our neighbors? That's kind of what sandwich people is about, is it not? Yeah. You know, so how do we live in relationship with others, um, knowing that they are also loved? Right, and that's what we try to remind them of. And, and that Christ has forgiven them, too, and they can receive that. Not just a, a, a momentary meal, but an everlasting blessing. Yeah, that's good stuff. And it's really pretty amazing how many believe that. Yeah, good. We're not the, it's not a new message to a lot of them. Good. So it's just an affirmation. Good. Yeah, I, I think it is good and right for us to be zealous for doing good. You know, in fact, I'm pretty sure that that's a biblical verse. Um... 
So he, he continues in this vein in verse 3. He says, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempt to establish their own righteousness, they've not submitted to God's righteousness. So that word ignorant, it can mean unaware, it can mean uninformed. How can that happen? These are people who had God's word. How could you be ignorant of what it says or, 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 or you know, what, what the, the message is? You know, a couple things come to mind. One is, you know, that as they were taught, they were given the wrong emphasis. So that happens today. You know, when Christianity is presented as just another morality play or another morality religion, just like all the rest of them, um, that, that Christianity is presented as this is about you being good rather than Christ forgiving and saving you, well, then you're going to have the wrong emphasis. You're going to potentially be ignorant of the whole idea that your relationship with God is completely rooted in forgiveness and his love and mercy for you. Um, I think another incredible problem that humans face is that our hearts are deceitful. Uh, in Jeremiah, it talks about the heart being deceitful above all things. <laughs> that, that is one of those statements um, that just really, really boggles my mind um you know because yes yeah good lord don't do that but, <laughs> but it's just like no <coughs> don't follow your heart right yeah. right yeah i'm getting critical of my old age must be hallmark or disney yeah. or disney there's a lot of that in disney yeah. So I want you to ponder the line, they have not submitted to God's righteousness at the end of that. What is Paul saying there? What does that mean? They're doing the righteousness of the law. Yes. They want to do the righteousness of the law, and therefore they have not submitted to God's righteousness. And to submit to God's righteousness is to receive that righteousness is a gift for Christ's sake. And again, this is presented here in this context as a kind of a Jew-Gentile problem, but it's a people problem on top of that. We struggle with this too. People continue to struggle with this. And don't we always, as humans, try to take charge of our own lives? Yeah doing the work uh, that actually would give it for free yeah. in this case. And I always go back to Genesis 3, you know, when, it's, when the serpent says, um, you know, when you eat from the tree, you will not surely die, but you will know good and evil, and you will be like God. And I think that that temptation um, to be like God, it isn't just that... Uh, you know, we resemble him because Adam and Eve already did, right? We were made in the image of God. We were like God. And in Christ, we become like God. But I think that what he's saying is you will be a God. That's the, that's the desire that gets formed in the heart. And as a God, I decide what's good and right and what's, you know, the, the right path for me and, and, and all of those things. 
And uh, as we have that attitude, then why would we submit to anything? Because it's not just that man is the measure of all things, but I am the measure of all things. You also know what's right for others. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did, I want to make sure I heard you right. Did you say God knows what's right for others? Okay, yeah, because that's the next temptation for us, you know, when we're God. It's not just that I know what's right for me, I know what's right for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and uh, if I may be a little bit facetious at the moment, but a little bit sincere too, the whole time change thing, to me, it, this is us just, you know, we are God, and we will take command of, you know. Now, Time is kind of arbitrary, the way that we have it set up in, in terms of you know, what the motion of the stars in terms of time and how do we define our time and all of that. So I'm not saying it is sin, but maybe, um, to have to change our clocks. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I, just, I just see this like incredible hubris in that. That says, you know, the sun is doing its thing. It is completely outside of our control. Therefore, we will take control of our situation and change the time in order to make it fit what we want. So we will stay up when it is dark and we will go to bed and get up after it's light. And I just, I don't know. It's craziness. Did you know science shows that we sleep better in the dark than in the light? True story. True story. I'll get off that soapbox. Chris and I did a mission trip to Alaska, and we were up there. It was, it was July when we were up there. And um, we stayed in a, a hotel, and, and the curtains were really thick. You know, it, and some people have said that it's harder to live up there in the summer because um, you can't sleep. Then others are like, during the winter, we got to get to Arizona and get some sunshine because this is just terrible. So, all right. Uh, verse 4, um, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, when it says that Christ is the end of the law, uh, you can also translate as Christ is the goal of the law. Um, sometimes people will understand that as... Um, since Jesus came, the law no longer applies to anything at all. That's not what this means. Um, now, the law is not going to save you by any stretch of the imagination, but there's incredible wisdom there and revelation for how we live in relationship with God and with one another. You know, so we, we, we continue to hear the law, and, and while we live by faith, we, we strive to live according to the design that God has given us there. But when we think about the law and the way that it constantly condemns us and points out our sin, we need to remember that the purpose of the law is to lead us to Jesus. It is really to point us to a place where we despair of ourselves and we know we need a savior. Uh, Paul talks this way in, in the book of Galatians. So it's really about revealing our need for Jesus' righteousness. So, 
Some of you are, are reading uh, Leviticus with me. I'm reading this and I'm just like, you know, and I've read it you know, multiple times and I'm, I'm very familiar with it. And I'm just always like, how in the world did they do this? They didn't. Well, that, that's my next, did they? Did they? Because there's actually a passage, um, I can't remember if it's in Chronicles or in Kings, um, where uh, uh, King Josiah uh, has them celebrate Passover, and, and they haven't celebrated Passover, like, ever. And it's like, all of this law, all of these sacrifices, all of these things, you're clean, you're unclean, and just oh, so big and burdensome. How do you do it? And I, 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 I don't think you do. I think you're just constantly like, Lord, have mercy. And I think that when, when we are like, Lord, have mercy, he smiles and says, yeah, that's exactly, yeah, that's how that works. For Jesus' sake, yeah. And I'm not saying that they didn't offer sacrifices, because they did. We know that. Can you imagine that they lived trying to follow all those laws, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes along and says, you're in a law. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, even at that, so you have the, all these laws about the sacrifices. They all find their fulfillment in Jesus at the cross. Those sacrifices, all of those things about being unclean and needing forgiveness, it all comes to a head in Jesus. You know, it, it's all to point us to him. And understand that when the animal sacrificed, I, I, you know, there really was forgiveness that happened there. But I also think that that forgiveness is because those sacrifices are connected to Jesus and it's his life that kind of backfills that with forgiveness. So why don't they have to still do that? They don't. I know. I, I know they don't, but why Jews? Like, where did it say? Like, we were told we don't have to do that anymore. Right. But they, they weren't. Right, because the <laughs> temple was destroyed. Because the temple? Yeah, they don't have a place to do it. Okay. The, and, and in, you know, kind of the geopolitical, you know, mess that is Israel, that is one of the big controversies. And it's one of the reasons that some of the really strong, you know, Zionist Jews, they want to reclaim Jerusalem as the capital. They want to reclaim the temple and they want to reestablish that sacrificial system. You know, um, and uh, Lord help us if they ever do. Um, but um, there will be a lot of blood that will be spilled you know, before anything like that happens. You know, because uh, others have claimed that as a holy site for themselves, Muslims. So, um, Into verse 5, uh, it, it talks about Moses, writes about the righteousness that is from the law, that the one who does these things will live by them. Um, Moses is our Lenten focus on our midweek um, uh, sermons. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to hear those, they are on our YouTube page. Um, 
And frankly, if you ever just want to hear the sermon, it is okay to scrub through the worship service. You know, you can, there's that little cursor down at the bottom. You just slide it along where you want it to be. That's fine. Um, it's okay to do that. Um, but uh, you know, if, you, uh, if you're interested in that, you can go back. We're looking at the life of Moses there. Um, this passage that says, uh, the one who does these things will live by them, that is a quotation from Leviticus chapter 18. That'll be part of our readings this week, I think. Um, the one who does these things will live by them. Um, so the broader context of that passage, um, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You must not follow these customs. You are to practice my ordinances and you are to keep my statutes by following them. I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. Now, whenever I read these, I, I always am struck by how often he says, I am the Lord. Why do you think he repeats that over and over again? To emphasize that he is the Lord. Okay, but what does that emphasize? Mercy. He, I am. Okay. Why do you say mercy? I'm the Lord God who brought you out of slavery. Yes. Yes. Because I tell you what, when I was growing up, the way that I heard this, was kind of like, you know, uh, why should I do that? You know, you know, when you're talking with your parents, because I said so, right? Because that's, that's the great explanation that us parents give our kids, right? Because I'm your dad. And, and I heard this like that a lot in my head. You know, why should I do this? Because I'm God. Just shut up and do what I say. But I actually think the more that I read this, that what he's saying is, remember how you were slaves in Egypt? I'm that guy that brought you out. I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Sometimes he actually says that whole thing, right? You know, before he gives the Ten Commandments, he says that whole thing. I am the Lord who brought you up out of, the, out of slavery. And I think that that's what he is really emphasizing here when he says this over and over again. I'm the one who brings forgiveness. I'm the one that brings salvation. And that makes you different so the foundation of Israel's relationship with God is what? It's grace. It's forgiveness. It's salvation. It's not, here are the rules. If you follow the rules, then I might be nice to you. However, God having saved them, does he have expectations yeah, absolutely. Here's a little secret. He has those same expectations for all of humanity. Because he created all of us. And when we live in those expectations, when we actually follow the way that God designed us to be, are there benefits to living like that? Yeah. Yeah. You know. But could those behaviors save us? Yeah. 
No. It's only Jesus' righteousness that ultimately saves us. So 6 through 8, uh, he, go, he goes on, he says, The righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, who will go down into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. Um, so he's quoting several parts of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, you might know Deuteronomy chapter 30 as the choose life speech. Um, I have set before you good and evil, uh, life and death. Now choose life that you may live. It, this is part of that whole thing. He says, this command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not in heaven that you have to ask who will go up to heaven, to get it for us, and proclaim it to us that we may follow it. And it's not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea, get it for us, proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. See, today I've set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. So what is, what is this message that would be in the mouth of, the, of Israel? This creed that they would speak. It's we were slaves in Egypt and God came to us and he rescued us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He claimed us as his people and he raised us up out of slavery. And the message of faith is that God comes to us. It's not that we have to crawl all the way up to heaven to get to him. And again, is that something that Christians have believed over the years? Uh-huh, exactly. Um, when, uh, uh, when I was doing my, my research for my, my um, major applied project, uh, one of the books that I read uh, from the 1100s is called The Ladder of Monks. And the idea is that you do these seven practices and it's like climbing up a ladder and the further up the ladder you get, the closer you get to God. <laughs> Until finally, it's like, you know, buddy, buddy, I, you know. Uh, it's like this heavenly bliss. That only happens in Tom and Jerry show. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, you know, and this idea that you know, we, we have to dig deep in order to find out the, 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 the mysteries behind God's word, you know, the, the esoteric secrets that are behind it. And No, the word is near you. It's understandable. It's in your head and in your mouth. It's in your heart because that's where God has placed it to be, and it's about him coming to you. And so then in 9 through 13, oh, I'm, I'm out of time. That's where we'll pick up next time. Uh, any, any comments, questions before we uh, uh, close with prayer? Then one last thing I'd like for you to think about um, an insight, a word of comfort, something challenging from, uh, from the class, something that, that God's word, you know, that the spirit, you know, drove into your head and in your heart uh, that you want to hold on to from these verses. Um, how will these impact your life? And I'd encourage you to uh, chat with somebody about it. So, um, you know, even if it's just, you know, the cat or the dog. Right, Cindy? Thank <laughs> you.
Yeah, Harry's there. That's right. Yeah. Let me tell you about everything that we talked about today. All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus, to come for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given your word to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive it in faith and that you would help us to live in it every day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.